Welcome in everybody to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation. You can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we jump in today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find us under the Burn Orange Nation podcast feed. You can share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, all of the major players and podcasts, and you can find us a share and subscribe with everyone that you love man my name is gerald goodrich i'm your host this week like i am every week and i'm joined by the megan rapino to my alex morgan kyle carpenter kyle how are you man i appreciate you giving me the uh the, the, the golden boot i think we're only separated by minutes not goals and i respect that. that that says a lot about both your character and and maybe the shows i don't know uh it was awesome man that was uh that was a fun weekend of sports for sure but uh we have we have a lot to talk about this week, I think this could be a uh, a healthy show to talk about Longhorn sports. Yeah, this is gonna be a, this is gonna be a a hefty show tonight. We've got a we got Andy Mitz from Rock Chalk talk great stuff to preview the Kansas Jayhawk. Then we wanted to we got some talk on Twitter and it felt appropriate. We hadn't done it in a while to give you a recruiting update. So we have uh, the distinct pleasure of having the man, the myth, the legend, uh, Joe Hamilton, our recruiting czar over at Burn Orange Nation, come on uh, and give us some updates. Well, obviously down the 40 because I said we had the series finale of like a month ago and then Texas. There's just no offseason. There's no offseason for the greatness that uh, that is a Texas Longhorn athlete. Uh, and then we'll obviously close the show out with some bang the drum. So first, before we jump into any of that, the Longhorns announced today that they are uh, they're sending a pretty big contingent to uh, to Big 12 Media Days at the uh, Star at Jerry World. So uh, the least surprising one in the world, Sam Ellinger, will be representing Texas. Uh, Colin Johnson, Zach Shackelford, uh, Brandon Jones, Malcolm Roach, and Jeffrey McCullough, a.k.a. The Shark, are all going to be part of the media contingent heading to the... Uh, Heading to to Dallas to speak with the media, and, and we're we're a couple weeks out from really the the big start of the season uh, fervor, Kyle. So Texas sending a big uh, big group is this is this a good sign a bad sign or are we just really really in need of some actual sports to happen? Oh, Texas is back at least at the Big Twelve Media Days. Um, that is a uh, that is a a large um. I think coterie is that how you say that word? I never know. It's a it's a word I write. Anyways, that's a large contingent uh, of of Longhorn. A lot of beef. Uh, the, the the crazy thing is, is that could look a lot like a uh, the season goes as well as some hope uh, that it might. That could look a lot like a uh, draft day green room with Ellinger, Kojo, uh, Brandon Jones, Roach, Shark, and 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 even Shaq himself. Um, you could see a lot of players who were who were Sunday players there. And I just want to take a second to compare it to, again, guys we love, um, but last year's four, Andrew Beck, Breck Hager, Chris Nelson, and Patrick Vahe. All really good character guys. No superstars who get you really, really um, jacked, you know, there besides Breck and Hager's WWE moves. But um, just, it's an upgrade. I, it's it's a talent upgrade. There's no way to, you know, get around that. The leaders on this team are legitimately, you know, fantastic NFL caliber players. And I think it's, we've talked a lot about the need for leadership on the team. And when you look at the guys, the positions that the guys were at last year, it was not a ton of skill guys. You know, you had an offensive lineman, defensive lineman, 
the fact that you have your starting quarterback now as one of your vocal out front guys uh, is a good thing. The fact that you've got Brandon Jones, who a guy who could have gone and, and been drafted and been now in, in rookie minicamp and the NFL roster is one of your vocal leaders. A guy like Malcolm Roach, who's kind of the heart and soul of that defense and in a lot of ways, I'm at least emotionally. And then We've talked about him a lot. This probably the smartest guy, one of the smartest guys on the team, uh, getting his MBA from McCombs, uh, Jeffrey McCullough. Like these are guys that are playing at key positions. They are um, leaders on the team, and they're also some of the most talented guys on the squad. So it's it's incredible that that source, the the leadership that these guys are showing, um, is is going to bode well, I think, for Texas in the future. Yeah, I, I I don't know how uh how that's a bad thing, right? Whatever happens this year, that's definitely not a bad thing. That's a good sign of Texas being back and things looking up. And another thing that shows that we are hurtling at 100 miles an hour toward the season, Texas released its fall 2019 roster with some uh, with some fun updates. So the new players, incoming players, got their numbers updated, some some heights and weights and measurables and all of that. Uh, I'm liking Kenyatta Watson rock, rocking the two. I mean, that was his number uh, in high school, but I, I like the the single digits for defensive backs. I don't know why. It's just a thing that I really, really enjoy. Uh, I was hoping to see one of the wide receivers. I wanted Jake Smith to grab number four. I'm just going to be really honest with you. I need a receiver. I just need it to happen. Uh, but some of the big updates that we really got were some height and weight updates, which is uh, just crazy. So one of the things we talked about about Parker Braun when we did our offensive line preview is can the guy play up at a big 12 weight? Well, surprise, surprise. Uh, according to the uh, the newly released roster, uh, Parker Braun, number 73 on your programs, 300 pounds in your heart. So put on a clean, probably 15 pounds uh, in the offseason. Couldn't work out with the team in the spring because of transfery stuff, uh, but was working out on his own post some uh, pictures his dad posted some pictures on twitter of him working out so 15 pounds there uh Keontae ingram is up five pounds from the spring uh up what 15 i think from his freshman year is what he's listed i believe at so now, uh which is good something that that is not anything other than just a, a happy thing for me darian brown is listed on the roster at number 24 i'm like i'm kind of getting choked up like thinking about it. like this is a kid that Eight months ago, we weren't sure he was going to play football again. And mm-hmm. here he is. Coach is expecting him to be on campus. Like miracles are, are a thing. And that's super cool. So we're so happy uh, to see that uh, football aside. Just the fact that like they had to remove a piece of his skull, Kyle. Like this is crazy. I I'm going to stop gushing. Uh, and probably the biggest gain of the offseason, Tervandre Sweat, mm-hmm. who was recruited as a defensive end decided that this was not a skinny summer. It was bulking season. And he put on <laughs> 35 pounds. The man, Tavondre Sweat, 6'4", 320. So there has been a lot of talk about Texas not recruiting as well at the nose position. We obviously know uh, there are some guys already on the roster that are pretty apt nose guards. But anytime a defensive lineman is pushing three bills plus, that's a space eater in the middle if I've ever seen it. Yeah, uh, I, I don't sweat the small stuff, and he is not. Uh, he is not that. I mean, Megan the Stallion told us it's hot girl summer. I think it's also thick boy summer um, because that's fantastic. And also, Big Willie Tyler is is not a human sized man. He is listed at six seven, three hundred and forty. Oh my goodness, I would not 
want to get on the wrong side of, of him in a buffet line. So, um, Jake Smith at 200, I think is pretty solid. Also like Jake Smith didn't wear the number eight cause he doesn't want to be too obvious double Jordan Shipley. So we can only believe he will double all of Jordan Shipley's career numbers coming in at number 16. Um, very excited for that. And, uh, Peter and Boggy up to 260 um, is good. As long as he keeps that kind of athleticism, I'm, I'm excited to see that. Um, Brennan Eagles listed at six, four. He's growing, man. Um, I think, uh, Cosme is six, seven, 300 just sounds like an NFL player right there. Uh, Josh Moore, I was looking at his weight really closely. Cause he's a guy like, I just want to see him put on five pounds every year and build that body up. Cause he's just explosive, but you know, just a little on the small side, um, but up to, up to one ninety. So we'll, we'll see kind of how that goes, but yeah, I mean, otherwise just, just like, um, uh, a really a really good look to see some of these guys where they've had all the all the work they're putting in with the ANSI and also just some of those summer guys coming in getting their numbers they're they're for real now they're on here um and and I just you know went all the way to the bottom of the roster and saw smiling at me number 99 6 to 340 pounds probably probably are going to be our, our our guy our our favorite player uh because of where where he plays in the middle Keandre Coburn looking good we we love the nose guards nose tackles on this podcast here i'm gonna throw i'm gonna throw my tinfoil hat tyler owens is a guy that always felt like he at least in my heart of hearts was going to move down from safety to linebacker Mm. he's a he's a 6'2 205 so he's already like on the bigger end for uh, a defensive back he's also a big hitter number 44 Mm. that's not a defensive back number that's a linebacker number. Uh, my only counterpoint is Ronnie Lott was 42. So if he plays safety and he can be Ronnie Lott, then I'll take it. Um, wherever you put him, just put him somewhere in the middle and let people that, that come across the middle become annihilated. I, uh, I'm i all I'm all for it. Uh, I think Overshone uh, at 31 could maybe be a little tweener there too because uh, he's listed at 6'4". I think that's an inch taller uh, than last year. And, and, and again, just sounds like a put him somewhere in that mid zone and let them both hit folks. We are 53 days away from kickoff. We are barreling ahead in the latter part of the schedule. Texas is going to take on Kansas. So we are, uh, we have the pleasure of being joined tonight by uh, Andy Mitz of Rock Chalk Talk. Andy, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing pretty good. How about you guys? Living the dream, brother. Living the dream. <laughs> Nothing no like, like talking football in the offseason, all right? The nice thing is, is everything is, is very civil. Discourse is always measured nuanced um and people you know takes are lukewarm at best no this is this is a podcast you you can you can give us your your fieriest your spiciest your hottest um that's what the people are here for oh yeah i i love doing hot takes i do it on my own podcast so i'll do it here with you guys too perfect this is normally the week where the ncaa football game would come out and i think people are just taking out their last 10 years of aggression on each other in our twitter mentions it's been real real fun so i don't i don't think you can talk about the Kansas Jayhawks in the upcoming season without talking about uh, star player and uh, kind of national breakout last year, Puka Williams. Uh, it was announced today that he's going to be serving the uh, one game suspension for some off the field issues. But once he's back, certainly in time for the Texas game, is there anything in the world that would uh, have fans believe that he's not going to touch the pole 35 or 40 times a game? Yes. Yes. And, and there's there's actually quite a bit because he's not the only talented running back that they have on the field. And last year, you know, I think most Kansas fans were thinking that he should have touched the ball much more often than he actually did. Um, mm. But one of the advantages, the way that they ran everything last year, you know, having a guy like Khalil Herbert, um, Dom Williams, 
You know, they have several guys that can run the, you know, can actually run the ball that to be honest. And, and I said this on Twitter and I immediately got a bunch of pushback from West Virginia fans of all people. Um, you know, I said that um, it was, it was in response to one of the other podcasts. I think it was uh, the uh, big 12 country who has put out a bunch of questions, you know, asking about which, which, you know, which team has the best running back room. And while, while I don't think Kansas necessarily has the best, in the big 12, I do think that most people are, are overlooking the room in general. Um, you know, a lot of people are thinking that it's just Puka Williams, but you know, Puka Williams, Dom Williams, Khalil Herbert, um, that's three guys for sure that probably on most teams in the conference would, you know, each of those guys individually would probably either be number one or number two on the depth chart on most of the teams in the conference. Mm-hmm. They do have a few other guys that could potentially, like, you know, I actually had said four at the time um, because they do have a couple guys coming in um, that could potentially do a similar sort of thing, um, you know, and could be really, really strong uh, runners for these guys, you know, for this team um, and, and kind of set up for a similar situation. The problem is that they're not going to get enough opportunities because we do have those those three really strong runners up front. Khalil Herbert, you know, this is the guy that got, you know, over 250 yards against West Virginia in a single game. Um, and then the rest of his, you know, his or his season a couple seasons ago was derailed by an injury. Um, you know, Don Williams has been a very, very strong power back, a guy that's run really well inside the tackles. And what what the one thing that David Beatty actually did fairly well last year on the offense was getting all three of the main running backs that they had enough touches that they could have an impact on the game. So that when Puka Williams was out there, you didn't know exactly what he was doing. You had some general ideas of what kind of stuff he was going to do, but there was enough doubt there that he was able to get the open space he needed to, to run around the corner or, you know, um, give just enough, you know, he, he ran just enough in power situations as well, where you didn't know if he was going to be going straight up the gut and he needed to crash the gaps or if he was able to, to get around to the outside. So there was just enough, you know, uncertainty about what was happening there that it really sprung Puka for quite a bit um, that I don't think he would have gotten if we didn't have as many guys that are that good at running back. And so I do think that it's definitely possible. You may see him get involved a little bit more in the, in the wide receivers, uh, like in the passing game, because the class of wide receivers we have, while we have a lot of freshmen um, that have come in that are kind of the bigger guys that you would expect in on a big 12 roster, um, Puka brings a dimension that I don't think they have in the wide receiver class in terms of a guy with just blazing speed. And so I could see him potentially, you know, lined up out wide a few times to get him additional touches. I do think he probably gets somewhere between 25 and 30 touches a game overall on both running and, and in the passing game. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's particular games where that goes up just either because some of the other running backs aren't effective um, or he's just lighting people up in general and they just decide to go all in on it. So they have quite a few tools, at least in the backfield to, to work with. And so I think the biggest surprise of, at least to me in the big 12 off season uh, was the man who will be kind of charged with corralling and dealing with all of this talent. Uh, new head coach, Les miles taking over uh, for the team, the, the newly found vegan 20 pound lighter new and improved, I guess, less miles. <laughs> um, so what does he do for the program? that kind of made him for the the right guy for the job uh, if he is, because there's talk that, you know, there are people that wanted, wanted a different guy. So if he is the right guy for the program, um, what makes him the right guy from the job for the job? And if he's not, what would have been a different route to go? So it's, it's actually kind of funny because I was one of those people that was not as high on less miles prior to him actually getting hired. Um, I thought they should have gone kind of more um, Seth Luttrell or, you know, one of those guys mm. that are, 
you know, kind of more had proven themselves coming up with the lower ones that could you potentially see building the program and sticking around for a really long time. My main concern when when Les Miles got hired was, you know, that he was going to be a two or three year guy that's going to come in and try to get them on the right direction and they're going to have to start over again. I wasn't quite sure if he had the amount of energy that he needed um, to kind of really, you know, hit the ground running and, and really get us turned around really quickly. And boy, I was wrong. Like, even though we haven't seen them go in a game yet, you've seen the way that the that the players in um, you know in in practices are just completely different. You hear a lot of the quotes coming out from the guys talking about how, you know, there's just a lot more direction. People know what they're doing. It's a lot cleaner, a lot clearer on what's happening. Les Miles is interacting with the fan base. You know, really getting out there and just living it up at this point. You know, I wasn't sure if he had that much energy left in him. Uh, to be able to kind of do that. But he's doing absolutely everything that you would need a guy like this in a situation like this to do. You know, and he he brings the national championship credentials. Like he knows what he needs to do to build a program. The question was whether he had enough left in the tank to be able to do it. And as it stands right now, it seems like, you know, he at least has all that for now. Now, obviously, we have to go through a full season and kind of see, you know, how the, the grind of the actual season goes through to see if it's going to be long term enough but at least for the initial season he's doing everything right at this point that you would need to do to turn around from such you know how horrible it's been for us for the last you know oh gosh seven eight years or so um you know we at least have hope now that we have a guy that knows how to win knows how to turn a program around because remember he he did the similar sort of thing with oklahoma state they weren't nearly as bad as kansas was but they still were not a very good program at all. He turned them around, got them back to consistent winning, and now Mike Gundy's been there forever, um, you know, following up after Les Miles. That's kind of the the best case scenario. What we're hoping here is that he can bring the energy, bring in his knowledge, and kind of get the program moving in the right direction so that we can turn it over to a guy that can then build off of that success and build something that can be sustained for the long term, even if it's just something that gets us back to, you know, 500 at this point. Yeah, and I mean, that's, that's, that's actually – a good point to the kind of the next question I wanted to ask about getting that 500 or getting that improvement, whatever that number is. Um, I think last year when we talked on this podcast, you gave us a, um, an optimistic kind of wins total of what you think, but just uh, in general for improvement with a new coach and with a new regime, what do you think it's going to take for Kansas to, to turn that corner? And, and I mean, I guess also as someone who interacts with fans of Kansas, what, what's the expectation? So that's a really good question. I think the, the the main problem, I think, is that most people, when they put their expectations out there, don't focus on the number of wins. And I don't and I think that that's the right way to approach it at this point, because, you know, if, if Les Miles is to be believed, this roster is a lot more talented than David Beatty, you know, made them look. And to be honest, I can see that we found at least, you know, four or five games last year where Kansas was in the game probably had a really good shot to win the game. And then David Beatty made a boneheaded decision that completely turned the momentum of the game, usually towards the very end, or just did something extremely stupid that ultimately probably led to them losing the game. And it, it may not have been enough by itself, but it set enough things in motion that you could at least make the argument that, you know, David Beatty himself lost four or five games for the, for the team last year. And they did that the year before as well. So get a competent coach in there, you know, with the same level of talent, but a guy that can help them to identify mistakes, to learn better throughout the week. And realistically, you could say last year's team probably should have won, you know, four or five games at least. Um, 
they just were that incompetent on on coaching. And and we've been screaming that for years. And um, you know, last year I was a little hesitant to try to buy into anything. I didn't think it was going to go as horribly as it did. But you know, I also didn't think that that David Beatty was going to continue to make the same mistakes that he did. So now that we have a coach that we have confidence in that is actually going to be you know, helping to improve the team, helping to improve the roster, to develop guys, all the things you would expect a coach to be able to do at the power five level. You know, I, I don't think that there's an expectation for wins just because of the way the schedule is, is breaking out. Um, but there's a, a really big range, like either they, you know, barely win against Indiana state, maybe sneak out the next game against coastal Carolina and then lose all the rest of them, but at least keep, you know, most of them close or they could get extremely fortunate, you know, win that game against Indiana State very, very convincingly, you know, destroy Coastal Carolina because Coastal Carolina isn't really that great of a team at all anyway. Um, surprise Boston College and then start catching some Big 12 teams off guard, especially teams like West Virginia that's breaking in a new coach, Texas Tech that's breaking in a new coach, Kansas State that's breaking in a new coach. You know, like they've, they've there's the, the Big 12 itself is ripe for a team to jump up and surprise that most people aren't expecting. And Kansas would be the biggest one that would surprise people. I'm not expecting Kansas in any realm of possibility to really be pushing for, you know, top half of the conference even. But there is an opportunity if Kansas can get things to break right for them that they might be contending for a bowl game towards the end of the season. And Les Miles could potentially be, um, you know, thought of as a coach of the year candidate for a team that is fighting to get to a bowl game. Like that that's how big that would be in terms of, you know, upset potential. Now, I'm not expecting it. I think they fall more in the, you know, win the first couple, might sneak the one out against Boston College, might get a win in the Big 12. Um, there's just too much kind of going on. If they're going to get two, then I think Kansas State has to be one of the two that they win in the Big 12. Um, just one because it's a rivalry game. I'm not sold on the climate higher. And, you know, their, their roster was falling apart last year. I just don't think that they can rebuild it nearly as, as well as a lot of people seem to think that they can. But... Um, you know, so like, I think, I think that the, the ceiling for them would potentially be five wins if they were to sweep their non-conference. Um, but the floor probably shouldn't be any lower than, than two or three wins. The problem is of course, you can't really set any strong expectations because you don't know how his system is going to actually work. You don't know if he actually has the personnel that he needs to run the type of system that he wants to run. And so I guess we can get to the, the personnel piece there. Then, um, there are two big questions, one on either side of the ball. And so Kyle and I will kind of kind of split these, but I think the, the first question is that, that quarterback spot, right? Like we know that the, the Jayhawks are going to be a uh, run first team with that stable of backs, but it looks like the quarterback room is pretty crowded and, and pretty wide open, at least from the outside looking in, uh, maybe feel free to correct me if I'm wrong there, but what do you think, who do you think is going to be the guy for, for Kansas? And what do you think he brings to the table? Um, that can, that can help less get it done in his first year. So there's, there's three possibilities here. Um, like they have, I think they have six quarterbacks. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, they have, so they have six quarterbacks actually on the roster, but only three of them are really potential. Um, Carter Stanley, the senior out of Vera Beach, Florida, um, he's the guy that, to be honest, I don't think he's ever actually gotten a fair shake. Um, you know, he was he was recruited by Charlie Weiss, decided to stick around when David Beatty got hired. Um, you know, and and I think a lot of that actually had to do with Clint, um, who, the defensive coordinator at the time, which is a little strange. But, um, you know, he didn't get a fair shake when when uh, Beatty decided to bring in a few guys of his own. 
uh, started a few games, had the big win, you know, the big upset win, Kansas over Texas. Um, a lot of people thought that was going to springboard him into the starting job in the next season. And it didn't actually happen that way. Um, he got stuck behind Peyton Bender, got stuck behind Miles Kendrick last year. Um, so the three guys that people are thinking have a legitimate shot at starting would be Carter Stanley, um, Thomas McVitie, who is a junior. Uh, he transferred in from Mesa Community College. Uh, he uh, he originally played for Pittsburgh and then went down to the community college route to then you know, find a new, a new home at that point. Um, there's some questions about what he can do. He runs more of a pro passing style offense. Um, there's a lot of speculation that that's probably the type of offense that they want to run. The question is, do they have enough confidence in McAvity to be able to run it the way that they need to, especially when they have so many running backs? Um, the guy, the other guy, Miles Kendrick, um, there was a lot of confusion last year about whether he was going to and, and to be honest, I think he kind of got yanked around a lot by David Beatty last year. The main thing with him, though, is that he only appeared in in the first four games, got an injury in the fourth game, and then sat out enough that they finally decided. Actually, it was it was Kendrick himself that decided. I think maybe even you know kind of overruling some of the coaching staff um, in saying that he was going to go ahead and sit out for the rest of the year to preserve that red shirt was a good move for him because honestly that team wasn't going anywhere and it's not like he could have shown anything, especially once Bade, Beatty was told that he was going to get you know fired. Um, you know, him pulling the red shirt to be able to get in those last games wasn't really going to do anything for his opportunity to start this year. I don't know how likely it is that he's going to be able to win the starting job. Um, he is definitely much more of a run first type of quarterback. And since they have so many running backs, I don't know that they're necessarily going to need his skill set um, in the in the offense they're going to run. Carter Stanley is a little bit more, so of, of of the two guys that I think are most likely to be the starting quarterback coming into the year, I think Carter Stanley is the most mobile, which is helpful when you're in that run first type of offense because if the play breaks down on a passing play, then he you know can actually get out there and move. Um, I just don't know enough about McVitie, and I haven't seen enough from you know the practice or from the reports that have been coming out to really have a strong opinion about whether he can win the job. The fact that he was recruited so heavily um, by well, the issue here is he was recruited very heavily by the initial um, offensive coordinator hire, who then went off to go, um, you know, coach at the head coach over at Troy. McAvity decided to stay at Kansas at that point instead of potentially leaving to go somewhere else. Um, and so there's a question about how well he fits into the type of offense that Les Canning wants to run for Kansas. So um, I, I think, though, at this point, McAvity is probably – more complimentary of everything else on the roster and is probably going to get the starting nod. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if, if Carter Stanley gets the opportunity, at least coming out of the gate um, to, to lead this team to potentially try to do something in a senior year. Well, and there's, there's two words I have here. When you want a quarterback who knows his coach, Manny miles, come on, less miles son has to move to the top of the pecking order, right? Come on. Um, he's not on the <laughs> roster though. Oh, is he not? I totally thought he was a two. It was a two miles package deal. <laughs> I apologize. No, he actually he's a graduate transfer, but I forgot where he went. There was a lot of talk when when Miles had said he was going to transfer. Uh, I was like, oh, well, he, he come to Kansas. And and to be honest, I don't think even if he had, I don't think anybody would have expected him to jump up to the top. Like it would have been just kind of a fun thing to talk about. But oh yeah, I, I think that that, I, that I was mostly he went down guess. to. Uh, I don't remember if he went down to an FCS school or kind of a low level. He wanted to get playing time in his senior year. 
okay. um, was wasn't interested in sitting out anymore for for North Carolina. So um, I don't remember where he went to, but I, I do know that he actually went somewhere to try to get playing time. That makes sense. I was I, that was ninety percent in jest. I just assumed he would he would come uh, be a field goal holder, kind of like he was for the for the Tar Heels. But I do have a serious one to move to the other side of the ball because the player probably most Big Twelve fans are you know familiar with on the Kansas team besides Puka uh, is probably Joe Deneen, a, a guy who you know anytime you played him just got fifteen to twenty tackles. It seemed like um, you know all time leader in Kansas for tackles for loss. I mean top five, I think all time, just in tackles, he was everywhere on a defense and now he's gone. So how, I guess, does this defense plug, uh, that hole and, and what does it look like this year? So it's, it's kind of hard to tell what they've brought in for the linebacker position specifically. Um, but yeah, they, they have definitely lost a lot and it's not like in previous years where they have had guys immediately ready to step in. Um, you know, like last year or a couple years ago, they lost Ben Heaney. Um, you know, had guys immediately ready to step in. They lost Lawrence Armstrong, had guys immediately ready to step in, and Daniel Wise. Um, this year they're losing, you know, they're losing Daniel Wise, and they're losing um, uh, Joe. They don't have a ready-to-go replacement at this point. They have a bunch of guys that, you know, made a bunch of big plays, but weren't really that huge, um, you know, in terms of where, like, they didn't have that huge impact and were ready to step up immediately. Alzer Kamara, the guy that played a little bit of linebacker, kind of in, in a bunch of different spots, was floating around, but made some really big plays in a lot of games. Um, Najee Stevens-McKenzie is another guy. Um, again, those are both seniors, so you would you would think that they might be able to kind of step up. They are both junior college transfer guys as well. Um, so you would hope that this is kind of the year that they can really step in there and, and get what they need to. Um, but there's not really a whole lot of other linebackers, especially, that can step up. Um, you know, there is another Deneen on the roster and Jay Deneen. He's just a sophomore. Um, <laughs> I don't think anyone's expecting him to kind of step in to that role, but he is definitely developing. And he, you know, he, he played a decent amount on special teams last year. There was a lot of talk that he, in some ways, was even more physical than his, his, his older brother. Uh, so there's a lot of hope, but he definitely still needs to develop at this point. Um, in terms of along the defensive line, that's, I think, the kind of the biggest weakness that we have at this point, because I, I just don't know who's going to replace Daniel Wise um, and who's really going to be able to kind of do that. Um, you know, defensive ends, we don't really have any names that jump out. Um, the main thing that I think we have going for us at this point is who we have coming back in the secondary. Corian Harris, last year as a freshman, um, you know, because kind of a little out of his element, but I, I do think a lot of that just was the way that the, that the, the coaching staff, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about the way the coaching staff handled the secondary last year. Um, it really wasn't that great. We saw it even the year before with Mike Lee, who, you know, in, in his freshman year was a very hard hitting safety that was very, very successful. Um, and then took a step back and there was a lot of interviews where it talked about where essentially his role changed. A lot of stuff was different, especially from week to week. And it just didn't make a lot of sense to him. He had a hard time catching up to all the changes they were making consistently. And so there's, there's a definitely an argument to be made that the coaching staff didn't do the defense any favors, especially in the secondary, requiring them to learn, you know, new complicated coverages and a bunch of different stuff that they just weren't ready to handle at this point, that the, that, that the coaching staff wasn't adequately preparing them for, um, you know, the, the thought has to be that that's going to be simplified a little bit. Um, but Corian Harris was a highly you know touted recruit coming out of, out of high school. Um, you know, he's, he's one of the quote unquote, Louisiana animals, the, all of the, you know, new Orleans guys and, and other Louisiana guys that got recruited 
um, through coach Tony Hall, the, the, the run back coach. And so, um, but, but Corian Harris at cornerback, Hassan defense had a lot of big plays last year. I'm expecting a lot of big things best from him. Team. Huh? It's the best name. on Right. The, team. the most, the most um, appropriate name for, for what he actually does. It, it was actually funny because when he was originally brought on, he was brought on as a wide receiver. Um, and so it was, it was a little funny. Uh, we made the pun initially when he, when he was brought on as a, as a wide receiver, you know, the, the best offense is a good defense, um, just because of his name, um, which, which was lots of fun. And then he switched over to defense. Like, yeah, that makes a little bit more sense. It's, it's it makes a little bit more, you know, it's, it's, it's a little easier to have fun with that at that point. But in terms of other guys that are returning, Mike Lee will be a senior this year. He definitely took a big step forward towards the end of the year last year. And I'm expecting a lot from him. Um, Bryce Tornaden was the other, you know, we, we had, we had quite a good core, uh, linebacker. We had a, you know, really good safety last year. Bryce Tornaden was the other really good safety that we had. And the fact that he is, um, you know, both Tornaden and Mike Lee last year were getting consistently recognized by pro football focus, you know, for being some of the best individual performers in the big 12, for multiple different weeks. So we have a lot of talent, a lot of guys that have shown the ability. Um, the question has always been for this defense scheme and the ability to keep it up throughout the, throughout the game. Um, you know, a lot, some of that has been conditioning, it seems like, but I also think a lot of that is that the schemes have either been overly complicated so the guys can't execute them properly. And so offense have been able to, to kind of pick them apart. Or in other cases, it was the scheme was overly simplistic. And so it worked really well you know, for the first half of the game, um, especially when, you know, how, how physical these guys are. But once you're throwing the same looks at the guys over and over again, the offense is going to adapt if you have a confident coaching staff and they're going to be able to find the holes in the defense, no matter how well or how physical your guys are able to be. Um, so that was a lot of what the problems that they had last year. They do have a really good starting group there. Um, you know, and, and there's a bunch of guys that were expecting to step up. It's just a matter of, Who's going to be able to rotate in? Because um, the one thing that we've learned in the Big 12 is that it doesn't matter how good your starters are. If you don't have backups that can rotate in consistently to keep those starters fresh, you're going to run into a lot of problems, especially getting beat deep at the end of the game. That that makes sense. And I think especially in the Big 12, like you've got to make sure that you, you don't – like those defensive breakdowns, like one defensive breakdown in the Big 12 is the difference between a win and a loss. And as you talk about your expectations for Kansas being – like just trying to get bowl eligible. I think that's, that's a huge make or break decision for them. Yeah. And I think like last year, the kind of the perfect epitome of how simplistic the schemes were was, was against Baylor, you know, Baylor had multiple, like three plays in a row where they ran the same deep route because Kansas gave them the same look, put the same defense on them. They literally ran the exact same play three times. And the third time it finally worked. Like the first two times were incomplete because uh, Charlie Brewer overthrew his receiver. And the third time, you know, dropped it right in there. But it was the exact same thing. Kansas fans are going crazy because everybody could see it from a mile away. Um, but you know, the scheme wasn't set up to account for that, to make those kind of changes. And so they literally just had to hope that the defensive back was able to, to stay on the receiver as long as he needed to to break up the pass. And, one, you know, so once Baylor avoided that, there, you know, there wasn't a lot that can't or from a coaching standpoint to kind of get around that or, or to, to, to counteract that. And so, you know, again, I think the biggest issue that we had last year was coaching ability, was the ability of the coaching staff to put the players who had some pretty obvious talent into a situation to be successful. 
we're not worried about that anymore with Les Miles. You know, he's shown he has the ability to do that. Maybe not so much on the offense, just because he was always well known for his defenses, and people got a little upset with his offenses. But you know, even even from talent that they have, like even a vanilla type of offense can be successful as long as you have enough built in to take advantage of all the different weapons they have. Um, where Kansas really needed help was scheming on the defense to be able to at least slow down the other Big 12 offenses to give them an opportunity to stay in games with whatever offense they throw out there. And I think that there's there's confidence that they have that now. The question is how quickly does everybody get on the same page to be able to get that to work and how much can they surprise people? And that's really what's going to be determining, you know, how successful the season this is for the for for the Jayhawks. I think that's a good that's a good that's a good answer to um to move to the the not so serious question, I'll be really honest with you. Um, <laughs> that's a good wrap up for it. So so we didn't prepare you for these questions. Um so one of the things that we're doing for all of our guests in this rapid fire segment is we're, we're asking them to say one nice thing about their rival now. And I wanted to ask you kind of a precursor question to this 10 years ago, it would have been easy. Like Missouri would probably be the one I'd make you say that about, um, which one would you feel better, Kansas state or Missouri is, is which one do you feel like you, you would, uh, classify as the chief rival for, for the Jayhawks? I don't even know. So we haven't played Missouri in so long, but I, know. I mean, it's, it's a rivalry only in the sense that, you know, the fans like to trash talk each other because they're in close proximity. Uh, I personally am not in Kansas city anymore. I haven't been for years. And so I don't have that close proximity. So Missouri's kind of fallen off for me um, mm. in terms of trying to classify them as the main rival. It's kind of hard. It's always been hard to classify Kansas state as a rival for us because most can be kind of like that little brother team you know how when you're you know growing up as a teenager you have a little brother who always wants to tag along always wants to play with you and and, and when you do let him do that you usually clown on him especially you know i'm thinking uh, on the on the basketball court you know, jumping over him like putting your hand on his shoulders you go up for a dunk that kind of fun stuff um it's hard to kind of get out of that mentality you know obviously we have been ruling the the football rivalry so i, I do think in a, in a football sense that Kansas state is probably, but um, there are some arguments you made for some other teams, like maybe Iowa state. Um, the fact that they were just as horrible as long, um, you know, and there was kind of a basketball rivalry that was growing even before Missouri left there. Um, you know, I've heard some arguments, but for the purposes of this, I think we'll go ahead and go with Kansas state. Okay. So with that being said, say one nice thing about Kansas state. At least Chris Kleiman's not Ron Prince. The last time that they moved away from Bill Snyder, it was an absolute train wreck for them. Um, you know, Kleiman has a little bit more of a pedigree, I think has the potential to actually be a, a decent coach. Um, you know, he still may not be as successful, or he may still be just as successful against Kansas as Ron Prince was. Um, Ron <laughs> Prince never actually beat Kansas. But um, they at least have the opportunity, I think, for this to be a good long-term hire, as opposed to a guy in Ron Prince who seemed to be a desperation hire when you know, the the first time that Snyder retired. Texas fans still have nightmares about Ron Prince. We actually exercised the demon of Ron Prince <laughs> on this podcast. So um, I will not accept any Ron Prince slander. That's right. One of the one of the greatest uh, one of the greatest bald uh, college football coaches who, who also had a player named named Jordy, uh, at least in the top five. No, um, we definitely understand the idea of little brother here on this podcast, um, but we'll move on from the rival. Um 
I, I want you to describe for, for our folks listening mainly in Texas or in places not Kansas, what is the ideal Kansas meal, as stereotypical or as traditional as you can think of? Oh, gosh. I mean, it's, it's, it's got to be barbecue. And, you know, I'm thinking a big pile of burn ends. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to name a restaurant mainly because I don't want a bunch of Kansas City people mad at me. No matter which one I say, you know, they're going to be a bunch of people mad at me for it. So, um, but of course, not having been in Kansas City for quite a while, um, you know, I kind of fall into the stereotypical. But what I do remember, obviously, barbecue is kind of the big thing there. Um, and and I, I realize that different areas seem to think that they have the best barbecue. Um, they all would be wrong. But, um, you know, burn ends is probably the, the stereotypical Kansas dish. And it is it is really, really, really good. Um, I try to get it every time I, I go back through the area. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can go wrong with a big pile of meat on a plate. All right. Well, I, that was the toss up portion of it. Now <laughs> for the challenging follow up. How do you make that vegan for new coach Les Miles and his vegan diet? I don't know if that's possible. <laughs> maybe maybe make quinoa like burn ends. A quinoa burn ends, yeah. Or you could um, just you know lots of grass. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> grass with barbecue sauce. You, you heard it here for folks. There. We go. <laughs> then that just turns into a weird salad. Um, so. One of the things we have to talk about, Les Miles in 2019 has been in not one but two movies that are being released this year. Uh, I think he's done been in four or maybe like three in a TV show uh, since the separation from LSU. So uh, that's a weird thing. Um, but if you had to pick a Hollywood actor uh, to coach the Jayhawks, who do you think would be the guy uh, to be on the sidelines? Oh gosh, a Hollywood actor. I mean, I want to say someone like, um, you know, like Jack Nicholson or something like that, because I think the, the okay. way you know the way that he acts, especially in a lot of his movies, is kind of the, the discipline that they need. But if I'm thinking, you know, if I'm thinking of this instead as a, you know, who who would be the Hollywood actor that would play the Kansas coach in the story about how Kansas football came back? It'd have to be a guy <laughs> like. Matthew McConaughey, you know, it's got to be a guy that, um, you know, has like the, the charisma that you need to kind of get everyone to buy in, um, if in order to, to make the story work, things like that. So I don't, I don't know how good of a football to actually be. I think he was a football coach in a movie at one point. I don't remember how good that actually, that movie actually was. We are Marshall. Say, I wanted to say, I wanted to say it was about Marshall and, and I, that would be it then. Um, I seem to remember that he actually did fairly well and was fairly believable as a football coach in that one. So, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better about my pick the more that I think about it. So we are Marshall was an okay film and they did this thing where they added a, a sad subplot to an already su sad movie uh, that didn't actually happen historically. So I have personal issues with, we, with, we are Marshall because why you got to make that even sadder. <laughs> And, and and for the record, Matthew McConaughey's dad is actually a high school, I believe, football coach. So he, he does actually have the pedigree. And if you ever saw him uh, coaching as the Minister of Culture for the basketball team, you know the man's got chops. So great pick. Now I want you to give me your pick on this, I believe, our final question. Hailing from the great state of Kansas, if you, our good friend, Mr. Mitts, had to pick one song to listen to on repeat for all of eternity, would you choose... Dust in the Wind by Kansas or Carry On My Wayward Son by Kansas? 
would have to be carry on my wayward son. Because you answered so confidently, I'm going to give you a bonus choice. It could be Rock Chalk Jayhawk, but sung by local Kansas band Puddle of Mud. As opposed to the other choice that I picked? Correct, yeah. you, you You can double or nothing here. That would be... I'm trying to think of how that would actually sound. Sung by Puddle of Mud. Um... I, without having actually heard it, I would probably have to stick with my original pick. Okay. But I wouldn't be surprised if I heard it and really liked it and wanted to change afterwards. <laughs> uh, I, I imagine it would be very shouty in a good way. Yeah, yeah. That's why I'm, I'm having trouble. Because I, like, I can imagine how it might be, but I can also imagine how it might be bad. <laughs> so without actually hearing rendition, I think I'd have to stick with my original pick. Safe. It's a safe pick. Uh, so Andy, if folks want to get some more of uh, what you have to offer, man, where can they, uh, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah. So I am, uh, I'm the managing editor over at rock chalk talk. It's the SB nation site that covers the Jayhawks. Um, I also am the host, um, of the rock chalk podcast. It's the podcast that I do, um, that covers everything Kansas. We, we cover not only your normal football and basketball. Uh, we also, we've covered every single program that they have there, um, extensively, you know, so we, we've done entire episodes about the tennis team, about the, the, the soccer team, like everybody that you, that you can think of. So, so if, if you are interested in more sports than just, you know, the normal football and basketball, we do try to keep you up to date on everything and kind of talk about, we've, we actually had, had coaches or media personalities covering all the other teams on there as well. Um, you can find that on Twitter at rock chalk pod. Um, you know, we're also, we're on Apple podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Stitcher, we're pretty much everywhere, um, out there, but I, you know, I do write occasionally nowadays, uh, for, for rock chalk talk. Um, but, uh, we will be ramping up our coverage. We're, we're in the middle of our hundred day countdown right now. Um, we've been doing our own series, kind of previewing all of the opponents, kind of like you guys are doing here. Um, and I actually think we're, we're, we're going to have one of you guys on here pretty soon to talk about Texas. So we'll be able to do an, and kind of an encore of this, I think in some, in some fashion, but, uh, you know, find me uh, personally, I'm on Twitter. It's at Mr. Double underscore brain. Um, really long story on that. We, we don't have time to get into where that nickname came from, but, uh, <laughs> I do a lot of, a lot of, you know, talk from there. I do try to keep most of my Kansas takes on the rock chalk pod Twitter account there though. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm pretty much all over the place at this point. Um, just, I really like to talk sports. So I'll, usually jump in about any sport and any, any particular topic. So you can catch up with me there. Love it, man. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time out uh, to give us a, some insight into uh, what the Jayhawks are going to bring to the table. Yeah, definitely. Anytime guys. So in our tradition of bringing on people that actually know what they're talking about, rather than two people pretending to, uh, we decided we wanted to get some recruiting news in. And so, uh, Kyle and I, we, we reached out to, to our good friend, uh, in one of our BON, uh, kind of our recruiting guru over at BON, uh, Joe Hamilton to come on and, and, uh, answer some questions for us. So Joe, thank you so much for, for sake, taking some time out on a Monday, uh, to hang out and talk with us. Yes, sir, man. I'm happy to be here with you guys and really talk some recruiting. Love it. So this is like now the second time that the podcast gods have smiled on us in a day. Um, so we didn't have this initially, but Prince Dorba announced, uh, via Twitter on Monday that he was going to commit Tuesday midday. And, and um, Texas has kind of been in a bit of a, I don't want to call it a slump, but they haven't had much momentum. That feels like the right way to say it at the start of this 2020 uh, cycle. So 
how are things looking for for Texas as far as uh, the Dorber recruitment goes? Um, and is that going to help generate some of the momentum that maybe they need uh, for this class? Um, yeah, man. I think uh, I think Dorba is pretty much a lot, man. From my understanding, uh, unless something drastic happens within the next twenty four hours, uh, I would say that Dorba is is definitely a guy that's going to you know that you're going to see in burnt orange and white uh, in the future. I um, mean, you have schools like LSU. And uh, of course, Arkansas with the connection uh, between the more, you know, between Chandler Morris and uh, Chad Morris being at Highland Park and everything. Uh, so, but I, I would definitely say that Texas is is definitely uh, a lock on that. Um, I think it can create some momentum. It's definitely, a, you know, Dorber coming in would definitely be a part of that Dallas to Austin train and yeah. movement they have going. So, uh I think he'll kick, kick, you know, kick off the lap, the laps part of this, uh, the summer, man, with the Dallas to Austin train. I think you might get a few other guys out of the, you know, in-state prospects that could possibly, uh, you know, take possibly go to Texas, man. Possibly end up in Texas. So now we didn't we didn't prep you for this question, but you can't you can't leave that that hanging out there and us not ask. So <laughs> who are some other Dallas guys that maybe? Uh, we can we can shut up the Texas is getting beat in Dallas crowd uh, with um, a guy like Chris Thompson hmm. uh, could definitely be you know someone that Texas uh, has a great chance at reeling in. Uh, he likes everything that you know that they're uh, preaching to him. Uh, he's been down there a few times, and just the fact that they got DeQuinton Jackson, uh, which is his high school teammate Ed Duncan, right. so, you know that that helps out a lot. Um, some other guys, maybe Jahari Rogers. I mean, it's not necessarily Dallas, but it's the Dallas Fort Worth area, Arlington. Uh, mm-hmm. He could be someone. He could be another guy, also. Um, you know, I was told a few times that it was between Texas, Florida, but he did mention to me that it could be uh, some other schools that you know he's paying attention to that could slip in and possibly uh, you know give Texas and Florida a run for their money. But I would definitely say Jahari and Chris Thompson are some guys. Some other guys also, and Jason, hey, Jason McClellan also. You know I mean, he's an Oklahoma commitment. Nice. He's definitely, he's definitely. I, I don't want to say interested, but he's definitely, you know, flirting with the idea of maybe going back and visiting again. He visited not too long ago, so I mean, if they could build some momentum there, uh, I mean, hey, sky's the limit. Yeah, I, I love that, and that's a perfect segue in what I wanted to ask next. Is we talked about the backer role with Prince Dorb, but I think. Our, one of our other biggest positions of need is obviously the running back role. And you just talked about uh, McClendon. If, if not him, I mean, obviously Zach Evans was kind of a, a blow for a lot of fans who who may have been hoping for that. Um, is is B. John Robinson the, the, the most likely or the best kind of target? Or what's the running back position as a whole look like for what we're going after? Yeah, man, uh, like you said, Zach Evans, that was definitely a blow uh, to the to this recruiting class. He was obviously the... Uh, priority uh being the number one player in the nation uh, according to 247 sports so um uh i would definitely say B. John robinson uh is a guy that you know he's the next guy up that they're trying mm-hmm. to win i mean jason mccullough of course he'd be hard to flip because he's obviously a uh uh oh commit but uh ty jordan would be another guy uh explosive all-purpose back uh kind of do it all back uh, you can split out uh, into the slot. Uh, 
you know, throw a quick screen to, and he could also uh, take the rock on the handoff. So, I mean, he he's a guy. Um, um, I would say uh, Dominic Richardson, even though he's a TCU commit, could be a guy that they could possibly flip if it all, you know, if, if they miss out on the guys that they're really looking for. I mean, he was a he was a guy that they had uh, offered kind of out of nowhere from out of Oklahoma City. Um, so, I mean, if they'd have to dive deep, man, in this class, if they miss out on B. John Robinson, Ty Jordan. Uh, I mean, I, another guy I like, too, is Devon Chain. I mean, he's he's a athlete. He's he's looked at as a, a wide receiver, uh, according to 247 Sport. They, they have him uh, listed as a wide receiver, but I think he's more of like that all-purpose back similar to Ty Jordan. Very explosive, very fast. I mean, he runs a 20.4 in the 200 meter uh, in track. So, like, he would definitely be a guy that I think Texas could really use, man. I talked to him a little bit, and he uh, said that, you know, Texas talks to him somewhat, and uh, he has a little interest. But uh, I know Texas A&M is on him hard. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, man, Zach Evans was the – he was the big, you know, the, the big target, man. But, I mean, he didn't put him in – he didn't put Texas in his top five, but – he ended up, you know, taking an unofficial visit not too long ago. So, hey, you never know, right? With him, that that was such a weird situation because everything up until that point was like it was going to be a Texas and Texas A and M thing, and then neither of them made the cut. And maybe he just learned the thing that took me like two and a half years to learn in school that you never skip a pool party in Austin. <laughs> yeah. Maybe that was just what that, happened. That, that probably was what it was. I mean, but. He also made it down to A and M too, so maybe he was just showing a little love to the in-state schools uh, because he didn't put them on his top five. But he's an in- interesting guy. Uh, he likes to do things his way. So um, I mean, you never know, man. With with the way Texas uh, kind of you know recruits, you could you, there's no telling if if he's still in the mix or what. So if Texas is still in the mix for him or what. So so we have to just monitor. So staying on the offensive side of the ball, um, wide the wide receiver room, there's not a ton of space, and and I don't think anybody expects Texas to take a ton of guys at receiver, but um, there are some guys on the table that that Texas uh, seemingly is going to go after. Uh, I'm still a little shook from the the surprise Demos A um, and M commitment. What <laughs> almost a year ago now. Yeah their best game of the season. Um, and Cooper, actually the day of the podcast we were recording committed to Ohio state. Yep. Um, we again, don't know how long that'll last. Uh, so Wilson is kind of Johnny Wilson's kind of the highest guy on the board. And there is a lot of, uh, talk there. You got a lot of, of, of um, heat there. We'll say yep. with Wilson, I think he spent some extra time in Austin on his visit. Uh, so what's it looking like with, with a guy who, um, as Texas looks to replace, a big wide receiver, uh, a guy who kind of fits that physical profile. Uh, Johnny Wilson. Uh, he's obviously, you know, the top target at that position. Uh, and he, you know, he definitely fits that mode of like that Colin Johnson, uh, also Malcolm Epps. Uh, you know, he has those similarities uh, between those two guys. And uh, he's definitely that top target at that position. Uh, he, he, you know, I talked with him, and, and Texas is is right up there, man. I mean, he had the Texas gloves on at the opening. Uh, he, you know, he raved about Texas. The reason why he had to stay there, so, you know, throughout the rest of the week, making his visit longer than what it actually was supposed to be. Uh, 
and he, you know, he just said he just loved it there. So, I mean, he he said he's not gonna, he doesn't have a decision. Uh, he's not gonna make a decision anytime soon. But uh, Texas, you know, if it was right now for me, I would definitely say that Texas is in the lead uh, for a guy like him. Um, but yeah, Johnny Wilson is the is the top target as far as that, you know, as far as the wide receiver position goes. But Mookie Cooper, you know, could be in Ohio State. That was obviously kind of a blow. But, I mean, like you said, <laughs> you you never know with Mookie. I mean, when I talked to him at the opening, he had UT shorts on. So, I mean, I don't know. You never know. You never know. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, like Gerald said, wide receiver is open. But if we get Wilson will know that's obviously the best uh, wide receiver prospect to come out of California in the past two years. <laughs> Cough brew. Um, no, uh, <laughs> no shots here. Um, but you know, I, the, 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 the skill positions we just talked about are as only as good as the beef up front. And as Gerald likes to say, this is, you know, turning out to be a, um, you know, one of our best recruiting or offensive line recruiting classes already in a long time, uh, and still have Chad Lindbergh kind of out there. Um, Stanford, Obviously, he likes the smart schools, but now he's been getting all the all the big offers. Um, is is he Texas fans feel feel pretty hot about him? Is he is he a Texas uh, Texas lock? Man, uh, with Lindbergh, I I just you know I still I still haven't been able to you know wrap my finger around what exactly you know what, what the move he's you know what move is he going to actually make? Uh, Lindbergh, I know he likes Texas a lot. Uh, you know, he loves it a lot, actually. And, uh, you know, he has family that attends the university. So that's definitely a plus. Uh, but Stanford is, you know, he's he's always, you know, kind of like Stanford, LSU, A&M, Georgia. Those are some schools. But Stanford is definitely that school that's, mm. that's, that's right there uh, in the running form. So, you know, he's visited campus numerous times, most, you know, numerous times this year. Uh, so I think it's just a battle for him. And, and where his heart is, you know, at the end of the day, uh, because, I mean, of course, everybody wants to stay in the state. But if you feel that you have a better opportunity opportunity to get to where you want to be in life at a school outside of state, I mean, you can't necessarily knock that. So I, I just think it's, it's going to come down to, you know, where his heart uh, feels most comfortable at. So. And we've said on this podcast a couple of times, if there's one school that I can't get mad at a kid for choosing yeah. over Texas, it's Stanford. Yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. Stanford is a top-notch you know, school program all around. That kind of leads us to like what, what's, what's next for Texas. So um, you, you and Cody put together a really, really incredible uh, piece on BON. You can check it out about kind of forecasting the best case and likeliest scenarios for the close of this recruiting cycle so um just quickly man who would you say are like the must-haves like if herman and company uh need to hit like who are the guys that they absolutely have to have uh in this group you know like we said earlier definitely johnny wilson i would definitely uh say that he's a guy california standout one of the best wide receivers come out this class um arizona standout running back of course Bijan robinson and uh, also Keely Ringo, man. I think he's yeah. definitely a guy that you you want to hit on. He's that type of talent, crazy athleticism, size. I mean, he looks like he's going to be a future first-round draft pick. I, I definitely think he's a guy that you want to hit on. Chad Lindbergh, like we said, uh, I think he would feel, you know, finish off that uh, offensive line uh, 
group. Uh, defense alignment out of uh, Cy Ridge, Vernon Bryden, of course. I think he's a guy that, we, you know, Oscar Giles uh, would definitely uh, want to have a part of that defensive front. Um, all, and also Alfred Collins and Princey, and Princely, uh, Eubin Yellen. Uh, I think he's mm. another guy. Those are two other guys. Uh, you know, kind of if you, you know, if you miss on one, you want to at least get one of those guys. I mean, Princely's right down the street in Maynard High School. So you want to be able to reel in at least two of those defensive linemen I just named. Um, and then, like, Chris Thompson uh, and Lathan Ransom. Lathan Ransom's a, another guy at the safety position. So if you don't get Chris Thompson, you want to at least get Lathan Ransom. If you don't get Lathan Ransom, you want to at least bring in Chris Thompson. So both of those guys are still priorities. Mm. Uh, so, you know, those are some prospects I would definitely say uh, are must-haves moving forward for Texas. Oh, yeah, and, and of course, uh, Prince Dorba tomorrow. I, I mean, I'm I'm definitely excited for a recruiting class with a prince and a princely. Um, two princes uh, is is definitely where you want to be. I think wasn't there a music group? I don't know. Um, the uh, <laughs> the so um, you know those those are all targets, and we've seen this. Those are all players I love. In fact, Keely Ringo is a guy. I, I was this year's class. I was so excited about Whittington. Just was my favorite player in the class from uh, you know all the way back. And and this year for whatever reason, I just can't stop myself from getting excited about Ringo, but we have seen some momentum with some of those big name guys. Texas is, is not, you know, struggling to get to the final five for any of the biggest recruits in the country. It seems like and some key targets, but there's been a couple they haven't closed the deal on, or they've kind of feels like they've slipped through the fingers. Um, is there like a reason, you know, for this or, or what can Texas do, um, you know, to change that narrative? And it's just winning, man. You know, hmm. one year of winning isn't necessarily, I mean, they won uh, the first year, of course, uh, beating Mizzou in that ball game. But um, and beating Georgia this past year, you know, that was huge to a lot of recruits. It definitely opened their eyes. But you know, you talk to these guys, and you know, they want to see Texas win. They love mm. all. They love all the things that you know, uh, all the atmosphere. You know, the the things that Texas has going around their atmosphere, and uh, the thing that Tom Herman has been able to things that Tom Herman has been able to do and build uh, around our campus, but they just want to see them win. Uh, um, that's what the prospects, you know, talk about the most. Um, so I guess it, it just kind of varies, you know, who you talk with and uh, basically like who they grew up with. If, you know, was that person a Texas fan uh, growing up or whatever, when it comes to them saying Texas is back, some guys say it, some guys say they still want to see more. That's one of the, that was one of the cases with uh, Zachary Evans. He said he he just didn't feel like Texas was there yet. Mm. Uh, so, I mean, but you know, these offensive linemen that have committed, they say they you know they wholeheartedly believe that Texas is back. So it's just it just depends on who you're talking to. But yeah, just winning, man. They want to see more more from more from Texas on the winning side of things on the field. So hopefully we will we will see a lot more of that. Um in the coming weeks, but we, we can't let you go. We, we are, um, we're nothing if not future focused Joe. And so we, we want to give you an opportunity. (laughs) Texas about a month ago picked up, uh, it's first 2021 commitment from another Dallas guy, uh, Quay Davis, uh, out of skyline Kyle's favorite name, Senator Quay Davis. 
Yes, the Senator Quay Davis. Big time pickup, and again, keeping that Dallas connection. Kind of seemingly cracking uh, a bit of the the shell that's been around Dallas. So who are some other uh, 2021 guys that you have uh, your eye on and Texas fans should be looking out for uh, even already early in the cycle? It's a lot, man. 2021 is going to be a crazy cycle. Um, you have guys like, uh, I think you, we had a few guys uh, this past weekend and today uh, that ended up in, you know, make, putting out a top 12 and our top 10 or whatever, and they put Texas in it. Uh, like Landon Jackson out of Texas, Arcana Pleasant Grove. Uh, he, he's a weak side defensive end. Uh, you had uh, Tamiche Adelie. Uh, he, he put Texas in his top uh, 10. Um, Jalen Milrow, uh, him and Tamiche are, are, are both teammates at Katie Tompkins. Uh, he, he put out a top eight today in Texas. Was in it. Um, he plays quarterback, Jalen Milrow. He's one of the top dual threat quarterbacks um, in the 2021 class, ranked number 74 nationally overall. Uh, so, I mean, you got those guys. Um, of course, Preston Stone. I mean, I don't necessarily know uh, – you know where he, you know where he is within his recruitment. Uh, I know he picked up almost nearly fifty offers already, uh, and you know, he's all, you know, he has schools all over the place, uh, you know, grabbing at him. But he's a god, man, that I've seen rip it, and it's he's a phenomenal just athlete and, and passer overall. Real true dual threat quarterback. Um, you got guys like Kamar Wheaton, man, number one player, number one running back in the nation. Out of Lakeview, Lakeview Centennial, uh, he's a guy that Texas uh, would be hard on. Uh, Brandon Campbell out of Pearland, um, he was at Katie Taylor last year. He got the Texas offer out there at the last camp that they held, and uh, he's a he's a pretty interesting athlete, also. But um, let me think, man. Let me think. Who else? Um, Tommy Brockenmeyer. There it is. Tommy Brockermeyer. I mean, he he has the he has the Texas background, man. It's uh, it's pretty deep, man. It's deep in the bloodline. So he's the number one uh, player in the state of Texas for the class. So I, I can't forget about him. <laughs> I mean, so he's been on a on a uh, unofficial visit tour with his brother uh, James. They've been all over the uh, nation checking out programs. He's another guy that's, uh, you know, who's obviously going to be a top target for the Longhorns. Donovan Jackson also, I saw him, uh, I've been watching Donovan for a pretty long time. and He's he's a phenomenal prospect. Uh, a lot of schools have him uh, projected to be like a guard, or some have him projected to be center, but, and, and tackle also, but I really think he is a tackle at the next level. He has a long arm, uh, wingspan, uh, so, you know, he killed it at the opening this past weekend. Uh, the only 2021 offensive lineman at the opening, and he won the MVP uh, as far as any of the offensive linemen. So he's another guy, man. It's a lot of in-state guys on the offensive line from Ruben Fathery, Hayden Connor, Bryce Foster, all those guys, man. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be an interesting class to, to keep an eye on man because it's just so much talent in state I would say in state man Kendrick Blackshear from who just transferred to Duncanville linebacker man 6'2 250 plus pounds runs a 4'5 so 
He's wow. a, he looks like a grown man. So it's just it's a lot of talent, man. But Cordarius, like he he definitely set the uh set the tone for the twenty twenty one class and I definitely think he'll be trying to do whatever it takes to get those uh guys out of the DFW area to make that way to Austin. Hashtag Dallas to Austin. This this looks like probably the best Texas class uh I've seen in quite some time. I mean, you've got yeah. 40 guys in the top hundred is what it seems like um, uh-huh. out of the state of Texas. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, Kamar Wheaton. Cause that dude looks like a great, he's got a better beard than I do. Like his goatee game is strong. <laughs> yeah, man. These, these guys, man, they look like grown men already, man. Like, it's, <laughs> it's insane. Sometimes, you know, I find myself, you know, thinking like, man, is, is you know, is this kid older than me or, or, or what, man? Like, but I mean, you know, I still try to keep him, you know, keep it in my mind and understand that these are still kids and, uh, you know, they're still just, you know, learning through this entire process. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, grueling process, man. But, you know, a lot of these guys try to have fun with it and, uh, just, you know, take it one day at a time and just trust the process. Like most recruits like to say, so. I love it. Well, Joe, man, thank you so much for, uh, for taking some time out today, uh, man, if people want to find more of what you got, all these recruiting takes, man, where can they find you on the internet? Uh, man, I'm definitely posting articles on, uh, burnt orange nation, man. Uh, try to get it, get out as much information as possible throughout the week. Uh, and you can also find me on Twitter at Joe Hamilton, uh, underscore, underscore, it's at Joe Hamilton, underscore, underscore. So, yeah. Awesome, man. Joe, thank you so much, man. This was, this was, uh, this was probably the, uh, the highlight, at least for me as, as a wannabe recruiting guy, this was really, really fun for me. Yeah, man. I, you know, this is, this is a passion of mine, man. Uh, being able to, you know, work within this, you know, field, man. So, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you guys for bringing me on, man, to talk a little recruiting, man. This is, it was, it was fun. Awesome. We'll have to do it again soon. Yeah, most definitely, man. And so now's the part where we honor all of the sports and athletes that don't necessarily get as much shine as they should. And we down the 40 international style. So there was some international tennis happening this week. Um, in a name that we said a lot during downing the 40 throughout the season, Christian Sisgard managed to win both the singles and the doubles national championship in the Denmark national tennis championship so uh that's that's another national championship put it on the board kyle light the tower national championship give me a one do it right now something's perfect in the state of denmark a, a, a dane more famous in in surely but in his lifetime than vigo mortison mads mickelson or even we'll say equally as famous as jamie lannister nikolai pulsar waldron um sisgard is the guy who Thank you. Uh, who is going to to be uh, a household name, even if we uh, can't all pronounce it? We are very, very excited to light the tower. I don't know if we will, but we should. Um, in his honor, the the uh, greatest man of Denmark. Favorite of the show, fan favorite, Anna Tarati, um has been competing in a bunch of uh, ITF tournaments, International Tennis Federation, I believe, uh, tournaments this summer. And she and her sister... 
Uh, because we know the only way to stop a Tarati is with another Tarati. Um, mm-hmm. They've been basically trading wins and, and such. And so yesterday, Sunday, as a day as of recording, uh, Anna won the 15K championship. I don't know what that means, uh, but it sounds fun. Uh, she and her sister, I think her sister may have taken the title at the 30K championship. So I guess they just divided in half. I don't know. I honestly don't know the structure of that tournament, but she won it. And that's really all that matters. I imagine that must be the, uh, the, the prize money. Is that what is it? Is it kilometers of how far they have to hit a a tennis ball? We are the internet's only men's tennis podcast. So we really should know this, um, or the internet's only, uh, Longhorn men's tennis podcast. So we should know this, but uh, yeah, I, I believe I'm now looking actually at um, a website called www.supervisor.lv, which cannot uh, be wrong looking at the play down for singles prize money. And it looks like it may even be 25,000 that she won. So either way, uh, hit us up for a sponsorship, Mr. Roddy. Love it. Do it. We would love to have you. So there were uh, some Texans in Mexico as well, and they were running track. Um, so at the NACAC championships, uh, this past weekend, graduating Texas Longhorn, former Texas Longhorn, uh, Tiana Daniels won the hundred meter, uh, Texas took first and second in my favorite thing to watch. It would be my least favorite thing to run the 3000 meter steeplechase, uh, Alex mm-hmm. Rogers and John Rice respectively took gold and silver and Texas brought home three more bronze medals, Miriam Abdul Rashid and the hundred meter hurdles. Uh, Makaya Harris in the 200 meter uh, and O'Brien Wassum uh, in the triple jump took home the bronze as well. Now the, the, the steeplechase derives its name from horse racing. And at that distance, I just imagine they should actually get a horse halfway through to make it fair um, and, and just be a hybrid jockey runner type situation. But nonetheless, many congrats to, to all of our fantastic athletes. Like the steeplechase, like they have to like jump a hurdle into a, into a puddle. Yeah. It's just, it seems ridiculous. It's ridiculous. I love it. When when running 3,000 meters is so easy for you that you have to introduce hurdles and water, when you have to introduce a bunker to your running, I just, that's ridiculous. Just, ah, get it, just stop it. Uh, so quick basketball news. Avery Bradley um, has not cleared waivers yet, but when he does, he plans on signing a two-year deal with the Lakers, kind of adding another key piece uh, to what they're trying to build out west. Uh, And moving from the West Coast to the East Coast, Kevin Durant, we talked about him signing with the Brooklyn Nets, uh, but is dropping the 35 that was a uh, kind of honoring a coach of his. I'm not sure why he's doing it. I haven't really seen much about that, Uh, but he's changing his number to number seven as he moves to Brooklyn. So your 35 jerseys are now even more of throwbacks. Yeah, uh, the the it's a, it's an interesting situation. It's not even like one of those you add the numbers up and it, it adds to that. Um, LeBron going single digits, KD going single digits. It's there's some some basketball Illuminati going on, and and uh, don't worry, I will speculate wildly. That's that's all I was. Doing. I was trying to figure it out. I checked like, oh, is thirty five retired by the by the Nets? No, it's not. Uh, so there's no other reason for it to happen. I I don't know. We'll do some. If you know, uh, shoot us a tweet at Longhorn Pod. Use the hashtag Y number seven. No, actually, just use the hashtag Replies of Texas. Uh, that'll get <laughs> the job done. But now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. Brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? USA, USA. That's right. Um, wave those hands in the air um us pay as well won't get into that one but the women 
the women, they're doing it all. We are a women's sports podcast, uh, mainly here, along with obviously punting and kicking. Um, but uh, it was a fantastic Sunday, Gerald. We're coming off of a, a hot weekend for women's sports at the national level. USA women took three separate golds on Sunday. Um, the the probably most famous of the three, as we alluded to in the show's intro, uh, was soccer, which um, did a, a really cool thing and, and won uh, back-to-back uh, World Cup championships. And I watched a lot of that, and it was fantastic. And those are all heroes, um, both because they're awesome on the field and uh, doing cool stuff off the field um, and fighting for all the things that they believe in, but also just being really awesome in the locker room. Um, go watch any of their locker room videos and it's, it's all the joy. Uh, same thing. If you watch Texas after a, like a OU win, for instance, in the locker room, it's kind of like that, except with uh, cooler ladies doing the dancing. But uh, the, the, the thing I wanted to talk about is not just the women, but the other two golds that were won that day had a direct longhorn connection. And I'll start with uh, the one that may not have got quite as, much news with the U.S. women's uh, national volleyball team is golden again, rallying to defend um, its uh, FIVB, which everyone knows that stands for the Volleyball Nations League title. The comeback for the ages, Gerald, winning the final three sets after losing the opener and second to Brazil. It looked grim, but they turned to their secret weapon, Chiaka Agbogu, obviously Longhorn for life. Um, So a Longhorn got to uh, lift them or uh, one of the uh, women to go up and lift the the trophy and also get a gold medal uh, around her neck on Sunday. And then the the one I'm most excited about, uh, also on Sunday in, in another dramatic fashion, the U.S. women's national softball team uh, came from behind to defeat the number two ranked uh, Japanese team two to one to claim the USA softball international cup title. Um, and, 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 this is relevant because you're probably furiously searching, trying to think which of uh, White Mike's uh, ladies was on that team. No, no, it is not any of, of Mike White era uh, players. The the Longhorn who uh, pitched a, a, a stunner, uh, a no hitter against uh, Chinese Taipei in the lead up and then pitched a, a part of a uh, one, two, three um I believe she had closed out inning or second to last inning. Um, and, and basically a part of a, a, a three pitcher two hitter is none other than Longhorn absolute legend, all time favorite. One of Gerald and Maya's Mount Rushmore of Longhorn athletes, Kat Osterman. That's right. Texas state softball coach uh, came out of retirement for this and looks none the worse for the wear. Kat Osterman is out here winning things at a point when, uh, she is she is a few years older than me, and my back hurts so much in the morning, I can't imagine uh, going out and doing what she's done. But it just goes to show that she truly is legitimately one of the best people to ever pick up a softball, if not the best of all time. So hook them to all the ladies, special hook them to the Longhorns, and just a, a, a respectful bow to Kat Osterman. Cat, but also the goat. I you're talking to a man who argued that Cat Osterman was second to Vince Young as the best athlete to be on campus in that kind of 2002 to 2006 uh, range. So I think it's just absolutely incredible. Light the tower for all of them. Do it. Nobody's on campus right now. Just freaking do it. Just light the tower. You know you want to. <laughs> uh, so my bang the drum this week. It is so peak off season. I mentioned it. Uh, in the interviews, man, we are like 
tomorrow, really tonight, like in two hours. In a perfect world, I would be driving to GameStop or downloading, really, is what I'd be doing. Yeah. NCAA, uh, what would it be, 20, right? Cover athlete, probably, unfortunately, Kyler Murray, but whatever. Uh, but we don't have that. So we have ridiculous, dumb things happening on Twitter. Uh, and so there's a uh, there's a Twitter account that hues, uh, skews heavily um, toward College Station that put up a poll. It wasn't even a poll because, again, somebody that clearly doesn't understand the Internet on how Twitter works is running that account. Said, retweet for Caden Stearns, like for uh, Leon O'Neal, who's going to have the better sophomore season. Um, and it turned into a dumb cluster thing that happened. What happened was everybody got dumb about it. And it turned into two guys who are both pretty good in their own right, basically saying this is dumb. Like, and I don't I, like, I don't want to take a shot at the, at, at either of the, at, definitely I could take a shot at Caden Stearns because he kind of laughed it off. I probably won't take a shot at Leon O'Neal because I said way dumber things when I was 19. Uh, but it led to, again, the ridiculous discussion of, the Big 12 doesn't play defense, blah, 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 blah. And that narrative needs to stop. If OU doesn't play the worst first quarter in recorded history, they beat Alabama. I'll just say it. Quarters two, three, and four, they outscored the Alabama Crimson Tide by 14 points. They just spotted them 21 and wanted to see if they could do it. And they came up just a couple of points short. It takes a lot for me to give credit to OU. So if you and OU had the worst defense in the conference, too, that's the fun part about it. Oh, you had the worst defense in the conference and they almost beat Alabama. They would have if they just maybe came up with one stop or if Bookie Radley Hiles was like three inches taller. Right. Like they would have been able to do something there. Um, it just it's already it's too early in July for us to be this dumb on Twitter. Um Let's, let's just, let's not use one athlete to tear another one down. Even as much as we love to tear down and take shots at the Texas A&M Aggies. Um, let's just cool it and let's just go all find a copy of NCAA 14, download whatever updated rosters there are and just be happy. Let's just, let's just chill. I respect that. I, I will be a little less chill just briefly in a, in a rejoinder. Um, it would be easier for me to do that if if Mr. O'Neill was taking your advice and being chill. Uh, don't stoke the fire, young man. Don't don't tweet out that you would have been playing. You played one game. Caden Stearns was was a all conference player. He was a semifinalist for the Thorpe Award as a freshman. He was was on all American teams. This isn't a conversation. It's not a question. It's not a thing that exists. That's it's it's like asking who's had a better NFL career, my cousin who's 13 and plays a little peewee football or Dick Butkus. Like are, are are you kidding me? One of these guys has done it. The other got some numbers next to his 247 account. And I just want to point out a couple names, Josh Proctor, Tyreek Johnson, Jaden uh, Woodby, and Kelvin Joseph. Those don't mean anything to non-Texas players, but those are the safeties ahead of Leon O'Neal, who aren't numbers one, two, and three in last year's recruiting rankings. DeMarvin Overshone, Caden Stearns, and B.J. Foster. That's right, the top three safeties in the country all play for Texas. O'Neal was so far down that list because he ran like a 4'11'40". Like, 
I, I he's gonna be good. I, I don't doubt that he's gonna have a pretty nice career, but he wouldn't even crack a UT depth chart in four years behind NFL players, much less a guy who's gonna sit on the bench for the Cowboys this year if he makes the team. Like, don't tweet it, Crutes. But Crutes, now players, don't 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 stoke the fires. Just. Take Caden Stern's laugh and brush it off like a man who's been there before. I think that's the difference between the two players and probably the two schools. <sighs> Sorry to get, I'll get off my soapbox. I got nothing. I was <laughs> trying to be diplomatic about it. And then Kyle just kicked in the door, just like just kicking the door, waving the four, four. All you heard was Papa. Don't hit me no more. Like that's what Kyle <laughs> just did to everybody. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's whatever. It's the, the Twitter, the Twitter beef between, between Caden Stearns and his little brother has been really, really fun. And by his little brother, I do mean Leon O'Neal Jr. Uh, we should just start. Let's just start calling him Junior. Let's just do that. I like that. I, I love like it. that a lot. Love it. Love it. Okay. <laughs> so that's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter tweeting at Crute. No, I, I don't. I still don't tweet at Crute. You shouldn't either. Uh, at Kyle Carpenter, all the, all the good takes. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter. At Longhorn Pod. You can shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, hook them. Hook them and go U.S. <laughs>